0: Uh, um, I, did I mention this at the start, this um, rock, these red stones? So, so the idea, the, the thing that we're asking this morning is, is how do you stay red in a sea of grey? That, that's the question that we're asking. And the idea being is that we are, uh, if you put your trust in Jesus, you're a child of God, you're an ambassador for Christ, but how do you stay red in a sea of grey? How do you maintain that unique Christian identity as a child of God and as an ambassador, a representative for Christ? So the Apostle Paul in Romans twelve thirteen he says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not be conformed, but be transformed. So how do you stay read? In a sea of gray. And by the way, this is for you to take to your front line to remind you that of your, your unique identity as a child of God, as an ambassador for Christ, to so that whatever you do, you do as his representative. But but how? How do we stay red in a sea of gray? Well, that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. And as we go through that passage, Hebrews chapter ten, I, I hope that you'll find three things in there. I hope you'll see the irreplaceability of Christian community in verse twenty-five. Uh, Then I hope you'll uh, see what God has says about the character of Christian community uh, in verses 24 and 25. And then finally, I hope you'll see what the source of Christian community is in verse 19. So if you don't have your Bibles uh, open in front of you, you can open it up page 976 uh, and uh, Hebrews 10, 19 to 25. So firstly, let's look at the irreplaceability of Christian community. Because in verse 25, the writer says, let us not neglect to meet together. Now, the word meet, ha- have a listen for it in, in the Greek, is the word episynagogue. Ring any bells? Synagogue. It, it means congregation. Uh, do not neglect to congregate together. Now, please note the difference between an aggregation and a Congregation. Because an aggregation tends to be a collection of inanimate objects that have no organic connection one to another. They're independent of each other. But a congregation is a gathering of living things that has a mutual organic life and connection one to another. And so what this is saying is so much more than coming to church, listening to a sermon, Taking communion and having a bit of a chat over morning tea afterwards. This is so much more than just doing that. And it's so much more than really what we do on a Sunday morning, typically. And actually, the the phrase that highlights this point so clearly in the text, it comes up twice in the text, and it's the phrase one another. It comes up twice in the text today, but it actually comes up a hundred times in the New Testament, this phrase one another. And so it's a huge element of our meeting together. And, and I want you to notice it. verse 24, can you see? Provoke one another. And it says, encourage one another. And this word means mutuality. Uh, there's a Back and forth, a to and fro, a one-anothering to our meeting together. And and that means counselling each other, praying for each other, listening to each other, bearing one another's burdens. There's over a hundred instances of what our meeting together is supposed to look like. And if you read verse 25 and think, okay, it says, let us not neglect meeting together and you think, Oh, yeah, that just means going to church. No, it doesn't just mean going to church because we don't have time for an hour and a half or so on a Sunday morning to do those 100 different things one another things with each other so if you just think oh yeah that just means go to church that does not mean just go to church because the meeting together has a mutuality where we love each other support each other provoke each other encourage one another so if you just think that means going to church then you're missing out on the texture and the fullness and the richness and the depth of a biblical vision for what it means for us to be a healthy community and if you Don't have that vision. You won't be able to stay red in a sea of grey. D.L. Moody was a pastor in Chicago and he he tells a story of going to visit um, a member of his congregation who was neglecting to meet together with other members of the congregation. And, And when he got there, the guy said, I can be just as good a Christian outside of the church as I can be inside. In other words, I don't need to go to church. Moody, he didn't say anything he just sat down beside the fireplace because it was the middle of a freezing winter in Chicago and and he sat down beside the fireplace and he took one of those red hot coals away from the fire and he placed it on the hearth the two of them just sat in silence and watched as this burning hot coal faded from red hot to black After more moments of silence, the man said, thanks for visiting, pastor. I'll see you at church on Sunday. People often ask the question, is it possible to be a Christian but not meet together regularly with other Christians? To basically defy what this passage says in in this verse. And you say, well, maybe, but that would be like saying you're a student, except... You don't go to school. That would be like saying you're a soldier, but you're not part of the army. You know what the Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8? He says, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And if you know anything about animals of prey, you know that they always go for the weaker and for the isolated animals animals because they're easy pickings. And Peter's saying that's exactly what the devil does. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And think about Judas, even Judas. He was part of the 12 disciples. He was surrounded life on life with 12 disciples. He was intimately close with the Lord Jesus. And yet he refused. He was isolated. He was not open and he was not honest with the people about what was going inside of himself. And so in John Chapter 13, verse 2, we are told that the devil put it in the heart of Judas to betray Jesus. And so, if that's what can happen for a guy who is surrounded by Christian community and so close to the Lord Jesus himself, then how much more for someone who thinks they can go out there and do it all on their own? This is the irreplaceability of Christian community. Dietrich Bonhoeffer has probably written the classic work on Christian community. It's a book called Life Together. And they needed it in the Nazi Germany when they lived. He says it may be that Christians, despite attending corporate worship, common prayer and even time together in service, may still be left to their loneliness. The final breakthrough to fellowship doesn't occur because though they have fellowship with one another as believers and as devout people, they don't have fellowship as the undevout, as sinners. The pious fellowship permits no one to be a sinner. So everybody must conceal his sin from himself and from the fellowship. We dare not be sinners. Many Christians are unthinkably horrified when a real sinner is suddenly discovered in their midst. So we remain alone with our sin, living in lies and hypocrisy. If only Judas had availed himself of the opportunity that he had of being open and honest and real in a healthy, mutual, one another Christian community, because it's absolutely irreplaceable. And it's the main way God has given us to stay red in a sea of grey. That's the irreplaceability of Christian community. But now let's look at the nature or the character of this healthy Christian community. What does this one anothering actually look like? Because it's so much more than what happens on a Sunday, though I hope we can do as much of it as we can on a Sunday morning. And there's four things in the text, verses 24 and 25. It looks like considering... It looks like provoking. It looks like encouraging. And it looks like loving and doing good deeds. And so we're going to go through those. It's easy actually to skip over the first one. It says, let us consider. In other words, we need to be considerate. Other translations of this same word say we need to notice, observe, contemplate. To think about carefully or to consider closely. Uh, I've had countless um, or many mentors and um, coaches and counsellors in my uh, my adult life. And definitely the best thing, one of the best things that um, the best ones always do is they take notes. So I've got a coach now. I've had counselling at different times. The, The best ones, they always take notes. Why? What are they doing? Well, they're being considerate. They're considering how they can help me. They don't just want to blurt out the first thing that comes to mind. No, they're considering the nuances of who I am and how I think in my context. They're giving consideration to how they can help me and encourage me. And so the first step of love is always to look, to listen, to pray and to ponder, to consider how we may help one another grow. Of course, good medicine always starts with good diagnosis. And so it is with a healthy Christian community is a place where we consider how we can help one another grow. I don't care what age you are. We can consider how we can help one another grow. And so let me ask you the question. Who are you doing that for? And who is doing that for you? And how might you grow? In that consideration. Me personally, I would say that about 80% of my time considering these things is spent during my daily prayers in the morning and throughout the day. 80% of my time uh, of considering is spent in those prayers. In other words, if I were to cut out my daily prayer time, I would be cutting out 80% of the time I spend with the Lord considering how I can help people grow. Let us consider one another and how we can encourage each other to grow. Noticing, observing, carefully considering. That's the first thing about a healthy Christian community. But a healthy Christian community is also provoking, verse 24. Let us consider how to provoke one another. Other translations say spur one another. The amazing thing about this word is that in the Greek it means to disagree sharply. So in the New Testament it's the same word that is used in Acts chapter 15, verse 39, where it says Paul and Barnabas had such a sharp disagreement that they ended up parting ways. It means to disagree sharply, to provoke. Here's what I think this text is getting at. It's saying that if you don't have people around you who are able to challenge, I'm not saying everyone. If you don't have some people around you who are able to challenge, rebuke, correct, keep you accountable, who don't know you deeply, then you will not be able to grow. You will not be able to stay red in the sea of grey, which means we need to give some trusted people permission To be able to speak into our lives in that way, to correct and rebuke and to challenge. And we need to be able to be receptive when that happens by God's grace and not be too touchy and not be too defensive. But we also need to be able to share our weaknesses and vulnerabilities and flaws to say, hey, I need help In these areas, that's how to stay red in a sea of gray. And by the way, the writer to the Hebrews, uh, by the way, who are under a lot of pressure to give up their redness and and give up their faith in, in chapter three, verse 13, he says, encourage one another daily so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And now this is perfectly illustrated by part of the story of the Odyssey where where the character Odysseus uh, is making his way home in a boat and he's um, the captain of this boat. And uh, he knows that um, on his way home he has to pass this island of the sirens, where these um, the sirens are, where these women who sit on rocks and they they sing these beautiful songs. And whenever the sailors hear the songs, they actually go mad with desire and they turn the boat towards these sirens on the rocks and they make a shipwreck of their boat and everyone on the boat dies. And And Odysseus knows that this is um, the route that they have to take. So, so he doesn't trust himself. He actually believes in the deceitfulness of sin. And so before they get there, he tells the sailors um, to tie himself to the mast of the boat uh, as tightly as they possibly can. And he stuffs his ears full of wax. And he says to the sailors, no matter what happens, no matter what I say, no matter what I do, I want you to keep on rowing past this island until I am uh, coming back to my senses. If, if you're a good friend to me, you will not give me what I want or what I ask for. You will give me what I need. He believed in the deceitfulness of sin, that, that he is his own. We are our own worst enemy. That's what this phrase, the sin deceitfulness of sin, is all about. And so the sins that are most likely to make a shipwreck of your life by definitions, the ones that you don't see, the ones that you don't know about, or the ones that you do know about, but of course you're not willing to admit to anyone else because that would be too embarrassing. For you, it might be your lust. For others of you, it might be your greed, living the comfortable life. For others, it might be your pride, looking down on others. For other people, it could be self, self-pity or, or your need to always be in control of, of everything. You see, that's why we need to spend time getting to know each other. There's another one another, I think it's James 5. Confess your sins to one another. This is why it's so important that we need to get to know each other. Again, Bonhoeffer in Life Together says, nothing can be more cruel than the leniency which abandons others to their sin. Nothing can be more compassionate than the severe reprimand which calls another Christian back from the path of sin. We want to be that kind of brother and sister for one another. And that's how we stay red in a sea of gray, by considering how we can help each other grow, by provoking one another towards growth, and now by encouraging one another... That we may grow. Now it's interesting if you think about this. This is almost the opposite of provoking. Provoking is confrontational, and encouraging is affirming. And so the Greek word for um, encouraging is the word parakaleo, and the word para means to come alongside. And you can hear in the word kaleo it means to call out. It's to call, to come alongside, and to call out. So you think about a great coach. Who's there going, good job, well done, keep it up, you're on the right track, not that way, this way. Parakaleo, to come out and to call that out that encouragement to stay on the right path. I hope I can show a photo uh, up on the screen of two twin girls, Kiri and Brielle. Uh, they had a premature birth in 1995. They were both born under a kilogram and so they were watched incredibly carefully by the team and uh, immediately they were put in their separate uh, incubators that they may not die but may live and, and Kiri uh, on the right here uh, began to put on weight immediately and she was healthy but Brielle was struggling. Uh, she wouldn't stop crying, she wouldn't stop coughing and spluttering and gasping until she bit turned blue. The nursing staff and the doctors, they tried everything that they possibly could to keep her and nothing worked. Until that was, a nurse decided to break the rules. She placed both of the babies together in the same incubator alongside each other. And as soon as they did, the healthy Kiri put her arm around her sick sister. And almost immediately, she stopped crying. Her colour began to improve, her heart rate stabilised and her temperature went back to normal. You can fact check this, it's all true story on the internet. Brothers and sisters, this is a picture of what God does for us. You know in John chapter 16, the Lord Jesus, he says that the Holy Spirit is the parakaleo, the whole, I will send you another comforter. The Holy Spirit is the one who comes alongside us. Not just alongside, he comes inside of us to encourage and to strengthen and to comfort. You know what the Bible says? It says, a bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. You know what it says in Psalm 19 verse 7? It says, the law of the Lord is perfect reviving the soul and so may God pour out his spirit upon us the Holy Spirit the comfort of the Paraclete, that he might do for us and then we might be able to do for others so why not ask this morning that he pour out his spirit upon you that you might experience in yourself the comforting and strengthening of the Holy Spirit that more and more we might be able to do for others what he has done for us. Again, this is from Bonhoeffer. I told you he wrote a classic. Uh, please excuse the gender-exclusive language. Obviously, apply, applies to everyone. He says, God has put this word into the mouth of people in order that it may be communicated to other people. When one person is struck by the word, he speaks it to others. God has willed that we should seek and find his living word in the witness of a brother or sister, in the mouth of man. Therefore, the Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's words to him. He needs him again and again when he becomes uncertain and discouraged. For by himself, he cannot help himself without denying the truth. He needs his brother as a bearer and proclaimer of the divine word of salvation. He needs his brother solely because of Jesus Christ. The Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother. His own heart is uncertain. His brother's is sure. Dear brothers and sisters, dear teenagers, I hope you won't leave it to your leaders and I hope you won't leave it to me to be the only one who exercise the ministry of the word. Because that is not a biblical vision of Christian community. In Colossians 3.16, the Apostle Paul says, Teach and admonish each other. So may God, by his grace, enable you to speak the word to your brothers and sisters and so build a healthy Christian community. Because the goal of all this, the result of all this, is there in verse 24. It's love and good deeds, provoke one another to love and good deeds. Uh, there's this Christian uh, speaker called Tony Campolo who gives this amazing picture of what a healthy Christian community looks like in terms of uh, exemplifying these love and good deeds, of being marked by love and good deeds. It's a true story that he tells about a time that he went to a conference uh, in, in Honolulu, of all places. not a bad place to have a conference and uh, because of the time difference, he was um, jet lagged. And at three o'clock in the morning, he was uh, still wide awake. And so he decided to get up, go for a walk and see if he could find a bite to eat. And, and as he was walking, he found this seedy looking diner. And he decided to uh, go in and he sat down and started to have something to eat. And, and he overheard a, a conversation in the booth next to him. These two women were having a conversation. It turned out they were both prostitutes. One of them was called... Agnes and as he listened in he heard Agnes say tell the other that it was her birthday tomorrow and so she was like well are you going to have a party and she said I've never had a party in my entire life well eventually they walked out and left and Tony walked up to the owner who was a guy called Harry who looked quite seedy looking himself uh, and and he asked him "Do, do they come here often and he said yeah every night same time so Tony said let's throw Agnes a party When she comes in tomorrow night, let's throw her a party. And the guy's like, all right, if you want. He says, I'll take care of the decorations. I'll buy the cake. I'll buy the decorations. I'll pay for all the food. Uh, Do you know any of her friends? And he's like, sure, I know all of her friends. Tony's like, okay, go and try and invite all of them along. So next morning, 2.30 a.m., He comes along and he begins to decorate the diner and they decorate the cake and they make all of the preparations and then at around 3 15 a.m all of this uh, Agnes's friends uh, start streaming into the diner and and of course they're all prostitutes so uh, here's this Christian pastor in the middle of the night in a diner surrounded by prostitutes and uh and so uh, 15 minutes later Agnes uh, makes her way uh, in, and as she walks in, everybody screams, "Happy birthday!" Well, Tony describes she was absolutely stunned, so stunned that she couldn't stand up. She 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 fell down to the ground, and she just started crying. She she looked at the cake, but she was crying too much to be able to blow on the cake. And so Harry, uh, the diner owner, he blew out the candles and he handed her a knife to cut it. And and as she looked at the knife, she said, no, wait a minute. Do do we really have to eat the cake right now? Look, I'll I'll, I'll be right back. I I live right down the block. I want to keep the cake. Would would it be okay if I could keep the cake? Uh, Could I just take it home and and keep it? I don't want to eat it right now. Is, Is that okay?" Tony and Harry were like, yeah, sure, I guess. And she said, just wait a minute, I'll be right back. And she ran out the door with the cake and they're all just left there without the birthday girl. And there's like this awkward moment and this awkward silence. There's banners everywhere. The party's ready. There's this awkward pause. And then Tony writes about what happens next. What I decided to say was, what do you say we pray for Agnes? So I prayed for Agnes. I prayed for her salvation. I prayed her life would be changed and that God would be good to her. When I finished, Harry leaned over and said, you never told me you were a preacher. What kind of church do you belong to? I answered, I belong to the kind of church that throws parties for prostitutes at 3.30am in the morning. Harry thought for a second. And with some hostility in his face, he said, no, you don't. There is no church like that. If there was, I'd join it. I'd join a church like that. So finally, how do we become a church like that, full of love, radical love and good deeds, overflowing with love and good deeds? What is the source of that kind of Christian It's actually there in the text, verses 19 and 22. Here's the source. He says, therefore, my friends, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus. Verse 22, let us approach with a true heart and in full assurance of faith. How do we become this kind of Christian community? Listen in. It's to the extent that we realise that God has already done for us what Tony did for the prostitute. To that extent and no further. You know, in the parable of the prodigal son, the younger brother, he squanders, he goes away, he squanders his wealth on wild living. The older brother said it's on wild living and on prostitutes. And, And he's covered in filth and he's covered in shame. And 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 there's like no way for him to get back into the Father's love, into the sanctuary, into the Father's embrace. There's no way, but he's confident. He, he's confident that he has a plan that will work. He, said, he he comes up with a speech. He says, "Father, I'm going to come back. I'm going to say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you." And there's the crucial part of his speech. Make me. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. I'm going to pay it off. Dad, I've got a plan. I'm confident. I can pay this off. I can pay off my debts as a hired servant. I won't live in the house. I won't get into the sanctuary. I'll live way out in the servants' quarters. And I've got a plan. I'm confident it'll work. I'll pay this debt off as one of your hired servants. And the father cuts him off when he gets home and it interrupts his speech so he can't get to that bit. He doesn't get to that bit. As if to say to the son, there is no way you'll be able to pay off those debts, my son. Not in a million years. The wages of sin is death. But I tell you what, I've got a better plan, a much better plan. And he calls out to his servants and he says, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Kill the fattened calf and let's celebrate. For this son of mine was lost and now he is found. The writer says we can have absolute confidence, absolute assurance. But not if it's your own stinking righteousness, trying to work your way back in. If your confidence is in the robe of righteousness that he would place on you, then we can have that kind of confidence. Brothers and sisters, the way to create this kind of community for others is to experience by the power of the Holy Spirit ever more deeply how God, the Father, Son and Holy Spirit, has already created this kind of community for us. And let me tell you, that party that God uh, celebrated was much more costly than getting up at 3.30am in the morning and buying a cake and some decorations. You know what it cost him? It's there in the text. It's by the blood of Jesus. His sacrifice on the cross. That's what it cost him. And that's why we can enter in boldly. To doubt it is to make a mockery of what he's accomplished. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life to the extent that we experience The community that he's created for us will be the extent to which we're able to create that kind of community for others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this gift that you've given us in just a few moments at the Lord's Supper. (laughs) To find our place at the table. With each other as brothers and sisters and with you as our loving Heavenly Father who clothed clothed His Son in our shame and our sin that we might be clothed in His perfect robe of righteousness. Would you fill us with that confidence? Will you help us hear the sound of singing, you singing over us with joy even as you delight in your Son? Would you, as we gather, help us to taste and see that the Lord is good? And give us great confidence and assurance of your great love for us. That we might be able to create that kind of community for each other. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.